I heard a story of a king in ancient times who did not have an heir to the throne. He was reaching the end of his life, and he needed to choose someone who would be his successor. And so he put out a message to hundreds of kids across the kingdom, and they came to the palace. To each of the, king, uh, to the kids, he gave them a seed and a pot. And he told them to come back at a year's time. And based on what he observed from their care of that seed and that pot, he would choose his successor. There's one boy whose name was Ling, and he took the seed and he put it immediately in the pot and in the soil, and he watered and he watered and he watered. Weeks went by, even two months went by, and there was nothing, no sign. But all the other kids would get together, and they started to see signs of growth. They would see green budding up and leaves growing on their plants and their flowers. The year passed by, and the kids all gathered at the palace, and they all stood in their line, and everyone had their pots, and they were different. Some of the flowers were beautiful and vibrant. Some had bushes, but then there was Ling, and his pot was barren, just soil on the top, and nothing grew. The king came by, and he looked at all the pots one by one, and he walked down the line looking and observing each one until he came to Ling. He took Ling, and he pulled him out, and he said, you... And this pot and this seed will be my successor. All the kids said, what about his pot? His pot has nothing. Look at our flowers. Look at our plants. And he said, when I gave you all this seed, I boiled that seed before I gave it to you. It was never intended to grow. Ling, you are the only one who showed integrity and courage, the virtues by which would make a great leader. I don't know if it's a true story. Wouldn't it be great if we did that test, though? <laughs> I want to give you a seed before you run for office, and I want to see what will happen. The test of integrity and character is really the true test of a person, isn't it? What's deep down within their heart. Two weeks ago, we began looking at this idea of integrity through the Scripture, and it's found all throughout Scripture. Integrity is this concept of wholeness, unfractured life. It calls us to be one, and we're defining it in terms like this, that it is an aligning of what it is that I believe and how it is that I live, because far too many of us, and I don't mean outside these walls, I think us as the people of God need to be called to a realignment of our life, because it's far too easy, too easy to be unaligned, misaligned. There's a disconnect between what it is I believe and how it is I live, or the things that I am saying versus the things that I am practicing. And thus the call of Scripture and the call of God through His Word is that we be a people who walk the path of integrity. The integrity of the upright, the proverb says, will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. So we need to be a people who are walking a path of integrity. That is, we are aligned in what it is we believe and in how it is we live. And I want to keep exploring that with you today. I want to talk about public life and private character, who we really are. Because one of the issues, one of the challenges to a life of integrity is a misalignment in who I am privately and who I am publicly, that they're not the same thing. We use words like hypocrisy or fake or maybe just the word phony to describe those who are not genuine. They're different people privately than publicly. And we see example, examples of this all around us. In the military, there is a term called the phony minefield, where a military can so position and form a field that makes it look like it is covered in mines, and it is intended to trick and deceive the other army. 
There are no mines, but it gives the appearance that there is something there. Some of you who are older maybe remember Mr. Joe Azuzu and all of his ads who would say, if you buy this car, I will give you a new house. Or if you buy this car, you'll get thousands of dollars. And at the bottom of the screen, he never told the truth. It was lying. But you don't have to know those. That's ancient. If you don't know about those, you might know about something like this, that you see the advertisements of what's on the screen. And then when you get there and it comes up on the tray, you're thinking, Something, something's wrong here. This is not what I ordered. It does not look like what I ordered there. There is something phony or fake or false about what is being presented before us. Can you see where we're going with this? Because there used to be a time if you wanted to appear a certain way, to present a certain image about yourself, maybe you'd buy certain clothing and you'd wear nicer clothing than what you normally wear. Or you would buy things that you probably couldn't afford, but it is to project an image. I want you to see this about me, whether or not it is reflecting reality. But today, it's not about what it is that you wear necessarily, although that's all is still true. Today, it goes to the social media and what it is I am posting and projecting about myself. That the things I am sharing and liking and posting publicly really don't line up with the life that I am living privately. That I am projecting, portraying, that my life is great and I am godly, my relationships are strong, and I care about all these good causes and righteous causes, but behind the screen, when all is turned off, it's just a completely different person. Isn't this a crippling one? That on Mother's Day, everyone is there to take the selfie with mom, but then when Mother's Day is no longer there, and mom's not going to be the reason by which I would get a lot of likes or shares, where's mom and time with mom? And the reason that's done, if we get deep down underneath all of that, is that what I share, what I post, what I project, is that I want you to like me. Uh, I want you to like what I share. I want you to like aspects of myself. I want you to see me and to see this version of me. Can we get that? What I am posting, what I'm sharing, I want you to see this about me. Matthew 6 and verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus gives us a warning, a very strict warning, that there is a very easy and subtle temptation between righteousness and self-righteousness. Between doing deeds which glorify God for right reasons or doing deeds which dishonor God for corrupt reasons. And he'll walk through this context. Let's walk it together. And he gives three pictures of this self-righteous living. He says in verse, uh, verses 2 to 4, giving to be praised. These self-righteous deeds, giving to be praised. Beginning verse 2, he says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you kind of hear the, the picture here? It's good to give to the poor. In God's law, it was woven in that you would care for those who were in need. You would open your hand wide to those who were poor in the land. 
The problem is there were some at Jesus' time who would sound the alarm, literally tooting their own horn as they are giving to the poor, calling attention. I just want you to see what I'm doing. I'm doing something really good. I'm being really generous. I'm going to help someone in need. Is what they were doing good? Yes, it's good to give to the poor. It's good to be charitable and to be generous. The problem was they were not giving to help the poor. They were not giving to care for those who were in need. They were giving as a means of boosting their own pride and receiving praise by men. And Jesus talks afterwards about prayer, praying to be heard in verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they had the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. A prayer is the lifeblood of a child of God. It's our connection to our Father. Just as much as we long for relationships thriving with communication, we cannot wait to hear from those whom we love, our mates and our children. So too with God and His children. We connect with Him and draw closer to Him through prayer. But here are some who are praying, and in one sense they're praying where they know they will be heard. Public street corners. I'm going to pray, and boy, I'm going to pour it on. I'm going to quote Scripture. I'm going to, in today's language, I'm going to speak in the old King James language. Thou, O Lord, thou art greatest in this time of grace. I can't even do it. Anyway, they're going to do it in the King James language. And then they're using the meaningless repetitions. It's not someone who's stuck on a word, because sometimes we, as we're especially praying publicly, get stuck on a word out of nervousness, and we say the same word kind of over and over again, Father, Father, Father. Sometimes we just get stuck on that, but here are some people who are using words as if it means something important. Holy Father, thou art holy, and you are holy because of your... Do I mean it? Do I mean the words I am saying? It's what they were doing good? Yes, it is good for the people of God to pray, and we need to be known as the people of prayer. But they weren't praying to talk to God. They were praying so that men would hear them and praise them and think that they were special and holy and righteous. And then he ends that section after the model prayer by talking about fasting in verse 16. Verse 16 of our context, he says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as, as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Fasting, fasting, the abstaining from the necessities of life in order to focus on that which is most important. It was a true act of humility. The psalmist says, as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. It is a form of humility before God. There were times when the nation as a whole would fast together. The Day of Atonement, no one would eat. They'd abstain from food. So sometimes it was called by a festival. But then sometimes situations brought it, and maybe you've been there. Have you ever had a time in your life when something was so serious to you 
The situation was just beyond your control, and all you could do, you didn't think about eating, you didn't think about drinking. The only thing on your mind was what was going on and taking that to God in prayer, because that was David when his child was dying. He didn't eat, and it wasn't because he just said in his mind, today's the day to fast. He was so concerned about his son, all he could do was just pray. But here are these men, and they're pouring it on. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. Can you see my appearance? I've not eaten for days. No, I'm not poor. I'm just fasting before God. You know, righteous people fast. I'm, I'm so hungry and I'm so tired. I've not slept, but it's okay. I, I'm not hurting. I'm just so righteous that I'm... You can't really even complete that joke, can you? Because that's what it is. It's, it's a complete joke for someone to pretend to be drawing nearer to God and focusing on God all for a show. Is what they were doing good? Yeah. It's good to unplug and to focus solely on the Lord. But they weren't doing so to focus on God. They wanted all the attention focused on themselves. Do, do, do you see the theme through what Jesus is showing us through these pictures? When righteous deeds are done in unrighteous ways... In fact, this, brethren, what Jesus is portraying here is the heart of that unbelievable, that vile scene in Acts chapter 5. Will you go there with me? Keep your marker here in, in Matthew 6. Go over to, Matthew, to uh, Acts 5 and catch how what Jesus is portraying here is at the heart of what's going on in Acts 5. It's almost hard to believe that in Acts chapter 4, as it ends in verse 36, Acts 4 in verse 36 it says, now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's amazing. You have to imagine someone who would do something so lavish, so generous, people would say, wow, he's a generous person. That's a really godly person. What a selfless person. What an amazing gift. Verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Do you see the issue? Barnabas sure seems generous. Barnabas did something amazing. I want to appear generous too. I want that same praise, but I don't want to give the money it takes to do so. I want that same recognition, but I don't want the cost it takes to be able to receive that recognition. And so I'm going to put on a mask. I'm going to project an image, and I'm going to pretend. Rather than the, the life Jesus is describing in Genesis 6 doesn't line up. It's not aligned. Where I do certain things, and maybe they're righteous deeds. Maybe they're good deeds. But I'm not doing them for the right reasons. And maybe deeper down, I'm doing them in public places where people could see it and recognize it and praise it. But behind the closed door in my home, something very different is seen out of my life. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 15 and verse 8? 
They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. They're saying the right things, and they're praising me in the right way with their lips, but boy, their heart doesn't mean it. They don't mean it. That's the difference with integrity. Something's not lining up here. When we put on a show and pretend to be something that we're really not. You see, integrity, a person of integrity doesn't announce the good deeds they've done. Their deeds announce it for them. I don't tell you that I've served the poor. I serve the poor. And that is shown through the life that I live. I don't tell you that I prayed. I pray and you will see the fruits of that prayer through God's answer. I don't tell you that I've read the Bible. I went all the way through the book of Leviticus. I didn't fall asleep once. You're going to see the fruit of that studying and that effort through it yielding in my life knowledge and wisdom and application of the truth. Do you see the difference? There are some who want to say they're living righteously, and then there are those who are living righteously, and there's a big difference between them. And we have got to be so, so careful because the world we are living in now says this is what's normal. It doesn't matter if it's real or not or fake or not. You portray an image. You want others to see whether you are that way or not. And brethren, that's not how the people of God live. We are aligned. What I believe and what I live are one. And I want us to see that through this context. I got three things, three things that will help us pull this together about these good deeds. These good deeds that Christ gave for us here but how they ought to be done and active in the lives of God's people. Here's number one. The righteous deeds. Hold on. There we go. Okay. Righteous deeds are to be done because they're right. Because they're right. Right? Because you notice in our context back in Matthew chapter 6, notice the language. He says in verse 2, so when you give to the poor. Verse 5, when you pray. In verse 7, when you are praying. In verse 16, whenever you fast. He's not saying, okay, stop. I don't want you doing those things anymore. These are good things to be done. To, to, to be done. God wants us to do these things. For instance, he wants us to be generous. That amazing scene in Matthew 25, the judgment. When the people are divided before the throne of God and the angels have gathered them, it says the righteous will, will say to Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you and, and naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, the king, the king Jesus will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. And that does not start outside these walls, brethren. The least of these among the people of God. We've got some widows among us and some widowers. And that's our role and our responsibility. We've got some who are hurting and wounded, who are sick and who are in need. And that's the responsibility of the people of God. I can't answer it for you. And you can't answer it for me. But when I stand before the Lord, I want to be able to have an answer when I stand before his throne that I have done what I could with what it is the Lord had given to me. We need to be giving and generous. And of course, we're going to be a people who pray. The psalmist says, evening and morning and noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. One day we're going to be face to face with God. Makes you wonder, are we going to talk to God face to face like we do right here on earth? I want to have a relationship where I talk to God all the time. It may not be long, hour-long conversations. It may be in the moment where it's just, Lord, help. Or, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Or, Lord, I love you. Lord, be with me. Lord, help me today. Lord, you're so good. You're so gracious. Lord, you're wonderful. Lord, thank you for being who you are. God wants it to be a people who pray. And as for fasting, it doesn't mean that you have to abstain from food. 
It doesn't mean you have to put away drinks for a while, but I think we would be a better people if we unplugged from a world of distractions and spent more time on God. What if we had a day out of the week where we said, nothing electronic will be around me now for this period of time, and I'm just going to use this time for God, whatever that means. A time of study, a time of prayer, a time of reflection and meditation. I just need to be undistracted for now. No watches, no phones, no tablets, no TVs, nothing that is taking my time, but I'm just unplugging. So that in this moment of silence, I can think about my God. I can reflect on my life and my standing before him with nothing distracting me and pulling me away. And we need that. You know what the reality is? You don't tell righteous people to do righteous things. You don't tell righteous people to do righteous things because righteous deeds flow out of a righteous life. Paul said in the book of Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly uh, desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The grace of God redefines who we are. No longer are we interested in desiring sin. That's who we are. We are righteous. We are known by our wisdom. We are people who revere and fear God. That's who we are. And so I don't have to tell you, be righteous today. We are righteous. And that's what we do will be righteous because he made us that way. And his grace instructs us to be that way. Back in our context, righteous deeds are to be done to the glory of God. I want you to go back one chapter. Go back to chapter 5 in a passage we know really well. Matthew chapter 5 and verse, six, uh, Matthew chapter five and verse 16. When Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That may seem contradictory for a moment, doesn't it? Because a lot in chapter 6, he says, don't let anyone see. And so I want you to wash your face and I want you to go inside your closet and I don't want your hands to know what you're doing. You ought to do what you're doing in secret. And yet in chapter 5, he says, when men see your good works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. So how do we reconcile those thoughts? Brethren, there's an immense difference between doing something that is seen and doing something to be seen. And the life which we live, just like Jesus at work, just like Jesus at the hospital, just like Jesus at the grocery store, we're on Amazon, where we are, just like Jesus on social media will be seen. I'm not doing it to be seen and to be noticed. It's going to be seen because it's who I am. The problem is when we take these good, God-honoring deeds and we step in front of them. Eric Osborne caught on to that when I did a lesson a few years ago. He went to Hawaii. Do you remember that, Eric? I couldn't find the picture. But the picture he sent from Hawaii was just of himself. I didn't see volcanoes. I didn't see sunsets or trees. I saw a nice selfie of Eric in Hawaii. It was part of the joke, though. It was part of the joke from the sermon. Because can you imagine this? The Fosters just got back from going to go see Mount Rushmore. Incredible. Can you imagine going, I go to Mount Rushmore, and I come back, and my family's around, and they say, hey, did you take any pictures? I said, I did. Let me show you the picture that I took at Mount Rushmore. Can't you see? They're going to say, son, the beard is coming in really well, right? That's all they see. Listen, 
Everything Jesus described in Matthew chapter 6, those righteous deeds by design are to bring glory and honor to God. But when I use those same righteous deeds for myself, I am robbing God of the glory he deserves. That does not belong to me. Those deeds are not to boost my pride, to build my kingdom, and to further my name. They are not for me. Those these prayer is not for me, for my name and my glory. It is for his name and his glory and my speaking to him. And giving to the poor is not for people to say, wow, he's a really good person. It is to help the poor because God loves them and I love them. And fasting and drawing near, whether it's through prayer or time in the word, it's not so that people say, wow, he's an amazing Christian. He's so devout. It's so that I will show people he's worth devoting time to. He's worth pulling away from. He's worth it all. It's not about me. So can we get that and get that a little more practical? Because what does it say when I face-to-face or on the face tube, on Facebook, say, man, I'm tired. I mean, I just got done. I just got home working all day long at the, at the food shelter down here in Garland. I'm really tired. It was a long day. Hashtag blessed. What does it say when I show a picture of my Bible saying, just got done with my reading today, read this today, here's a prayer I had and I'm praying today. What does it say when men say, preaching a gospel meeting in Indianapolis this week, if you're in the area, come and hear me. I wrote this article, I want you to read it. I, 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 me, me, me. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Not to my name, not to my praise, not to my glory, to his name. I will not brag on my strength. How dare I boast in my wisdom? How dare I stand on the things that I believe that I have built, brethren? I am only here by the grace of God. It's not about us. And we believe in our minds, I'm just putting it out there so that people will be encouraged and they'll do good deeds too. Really? Or is it more about me building my kingdom and my name? Because you know when Paul said about that grace of God, which redefines who we are, notice this. I had never seen this before, before this week. Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And sometimes we just camp out at the end. Christ died for us that we would be zealous for good deeds. But notice, did you notice everything he said before it? That he redeemed us. That is, he bought us by his blood. We are his people. And in fact, he designed for us to be his people, to purify for himself a people for his own possession so that we are zealous for good deeds. Whose good deeds? His good deeds. For whose sake? His sake. For what reason? His reason. We are his people. It's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about my glory. It's not about people noticing me and praising me and thinking I've done such good things. Brethren, I'm only doing what I am doing because of him. Because of him. 
It's not for my name's sake. It's for his. It is done to the glory of God so that whether it's something simple as eating or drinking, whatever you do, you do all to his name. I'll tell you, apart from those who we know who are seeking to make a name for themselves, we're making it clear that they want likes and shares and followers and attention and pride. There are far more in the kingdom of God who are gentle giants whose names we will never know. But they are doing what's right. They're serving and they're helping and they're giving in such profound and generous ways. They're devoting their life to the word of God and are teaching and serving in ways no one could possibly comprehend and no one will know it but the Lord himself. May God increase their tribe. How many of us have been blessed, have received gifts, and on the tag and on the card simply says anonymous. And our response is not to say, I'm so good, I got this. Our response is to say, gracious God, you have blessed someone who has blessed me. May you be glorified. It is all to the glory of God. And every good deed, Jesus says, was to be done in secret. Did you catch that theme? In verse 3, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that when you're giving will be in secret, your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And verse 6, when you pray, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And in verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. Do you see the theme? I want you to do these things, but I don't want you to do it as a show. I don't want you to do it to be noticed by men. I want you to do it so discreetly that no one would see you calling attention to yourself. And the one who will see is the one who rewards, and that is me. So, let me ask you some questions today. Am I just as zealous for God and his kingdom in private as I am in public? Do I pray just as fervently, powerfully, demonstrably in private as I do in public? Even prayers I post and share online. Would I give as generously if no one knew? Would I serve others as diligently, hours upon hours on the day, hard labor, sweat pouring down the brow, but no one knew, no one saw it? Would I be as devoted to God and fervent for Christ, my faith in Him and my love for Him, if no one on earth knew it? Can you hear the call? Can can you hear the pleading of Jesus? All these are good things done from a good life. Don't step into that spotlight and steal the glory of God for yourself. Does some of this bother you? Does it bother us? This call to a secret life where no one would know 
Because in our minds, what we may be saying is, but who's going to hear the things that I'm praying? God will. But who's going to see all the ways I'm serving people and, and, and helping people? God will. God will. Who's going to see the lavish generosity of me giving what I'm giving to people? Who's going to recognize that and praise that? God will. God will. Who's going to see all the years and time spent in the Word and studying and all this time I've been in this Word? God will. God will. Who's going to see that life who all day long has spent time thinking about God and focus on God? God will. The more important question is, whose praise, whose approval do I seek more? Is it my peers? Or is it his? The call of God to the Apostle Paul is to make it our ambition to lead, listen, a quiet life. A quiet life. To attend to your own business. To work with your hands just as we commanded you. That seems so impossible, doesn't it? So foreign to our social time. I want you to live a quiet life. Just do your work. Just serve those around you. Just care for your families. Just belong in the church. Don't call attention to yourself. Don't make a fuss. Don't seek drama. Don't make it about you. Just be quiet. And just live. The call of Jesus for his people to lead an authentic, sincere, quiet life. That what we believe at home, where no one is around us in the privacy of our own closets, or what we believe when the world is watching, are the same. Integrity. I am who I am, no matter who is around me. a small town called Basel in Switzerland who once a year would have a festival and in this festival they would all put on masks and this one time of year when everyone had their mask on they would engage in unbelievable immorality sexual immorality maybe stealing and robbing fighting looting Every year it would take place, the same time every year they'd put on their masks and they believed because of the secrecy of hiding their identity, they could do whatever it is they wanted to do until the year the Red Cross showed up and put this sign in their town, God sees behind the mask. And brethren, that is our takeaway today. God sees behind the mask. God sees you for who you really are and he sees me for who I really am. I can hide from you. I can, I can hide from those whom I love, but I cannot hide from my God. And so may God help us to live more aligned. That whether a mask is on or not, whether I'm here in front of a lot of people or I'm at home, I am who I am, and that is simply a humble servant of God trying to do what's right, what's right in his name. And that's my call for you today. No more masks. No, no more hiding. Uh, no more pretending. And maybe you've come in today and, and there's just a lot that you've been hiding behind. That you come and maybe you've come broken and weary. Don't, don't hide that anymore. Don't. Don't pretend like everything is okay. 
that everything is just fine when you know that deep down God sees you for where you really are and who you really are. If you've come today and you're not in a right relationship with God, then where you need to come is back to God, back to God. It's not for us and it's not for the church. It's for you and it's for your Lord. And the song we're going to sing is just for that very reason. Just as you are, as you really are, as you really stand before God, Right now, honestly and sincerely, standing before your Lord, if you are not right and you're not in a right relationship with him, today is that day. Just come, come. Even if you're broken, even if you've run far, even if there's sin, even if there's a long history of things that's been in your life, today can be that day through Jesus you get that forgiveness. If you've not started your walk with him, today is the day to confess Jesus as Lord, to turn from all of that sin and to be baptized and to leave here a child of God. But if you are a child of God and you've been hiding behind a mask of insecurity, hiding things that you know are not right, today is a great day to come. Come as you are, however that is. Because we will love you and we will pray for you and we will help you leave from here. No mask, no veil. Just a soul that's right with their God. So if we can help you in any way, right here. Let's do it right now. Let's stand, let's sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.